Anyway, yesterday our, uh, you know, our country celebrated the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and it pronounced our freedom from Great Britain's rule and our intention to rule ourselves, right? Of course, Great Britain disagreed, and we were forced into a war to actually obtain that freedom. And so this morning I want to talk to you about the, the topic, the subject of freedom, And so let's quickly just identify what is freedom. Uh, A dictionary definition is this. It's the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants to without hindrance or restraint. So you can, it's the freedom, the, the, the power or the right to just speak for yourself, to think for yourself or act for yourself uh, without somebody hindering, hindering you or restraining you from doing that. And so, in the case of our country, we declared and fought for the power or the right to act on our own behalf in, in ruling ourselves and not under the restraint of Great Britain. So we wanted freedom from them so that we could rule ourselves. Now, when you think of freedom, freedom has uh, a negative concept and a positive concept to it. You say, well, what do you mean a negative and a positive? Well, one, it carries the idea of deliverance, which would be a negative aspect because it focuses on the deliverance of, the hindrance of, the restraint from, the oppression of, the bondage of. It It has the concept of enslavement to, in some form and a deliverance from the enslavement. That's the negative concept of freedom. But freedom also has a positive, and it carries with it the idea of endowment. Endowment to decide, and endowment to choose, to achieve, to think for oneself, to plan. It can be captured in, in an empowerment. Freedom has an empowerment that you can do, think, speak for yourself. You're empowered to do that. And it, so that's a positive concept. There's a negative enslavement and a positive and empowerment. And both are included when you talk about freedom. <clears throat> but obviously today we're in church, and so uh, we're not going to talk, I'm not going to talk politically, I'm not going to talk uh, anything to but biblical freedom. And what does that look like? <clears throat> well, a few scriptures on that. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, um, Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me just pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I I thank you for the freedom that we've received in in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, um, that we can speak and think and believe in those things without hindrance. And Lord, as we look at that today, would you show us, would you reveal to us the freedom that we have in you. In your name, amen. Hey, a little side note, the slides this morning. Uh, I took that picture on sabbatical last year, and to me, uh, that's the idea of freedom. There's, a, there's the open water, there's the woods to be explored, and mountains to climb. And that, to me, is, is my freedom. And, uh, and that's where I'll be tomorrow. 
not there because um, that is actually uh, the Grand Tetons. So that's too far away f- to travel, but um, I'll be in the woods tomorrow. If you don't know me, that's just my, my freedom place. So anyway, I took the picture there is uh, why I chose it for the topic today. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, um, Jesus said this, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, I've come to proclaim freedom for the captives. And then he says, here he says, if you hold to my teachings, if you hold to the things I'm about to show you and tell you and direct you in, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so the the main theme we're going to look at today is that Jesus Christ has set us free. Okay, And, and when you leave here today, I want you to walk from this place realizing that Jesus Christ has set me free. And we're going to look into what has he set me free from and how do I respond to knowing what he has set me free from. But the, the thought we're going to leave here today with is Jesus Christ has set me free. Amen? Amen. So what does that mean? It means that given our definition of freedom, it means that Jesus Christ has given you the power to act, speak, and think as you want without hindrance or restraint. That Jesus Christ has given you that power to think, to speak, and to act without hindrance or restraint. Now you may be sitting here today and say, well, what in the world is hindering me as it relates to Jesus Christ and my faith? What has he set me free from? It's easy when you look back in the Old Testament and Israel was enslaved by Egypt. You could say and he brought them out of Egypt. You could say he set them free from Egypt, right? Or any of the oppressive rulers or kingdoms throughout the Old Testament, he set, he set his people free. It's a tangible freedom. So what is it that restrains or hinders you to think, speak, or act fr- freely? Let's look at a few of those. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So he says, hey, it's for freedom Christ has set you free. And when, it's a, when there's a, a, a double in the original language, it's, it means absolute. So when he says it's for freedom, he sets you free, he's, he's referring to it's an absolute freedom. It's not a temporary or a provisional freedom. It's absolute freedom. It's done. And so he says, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What slavery is he talking about? And in, in fact, the Jews even argued this with Jesus in, in John chapter 8. He says, we're descendants of Abraham. We're not enslaved. Jesus goes on, or, or Galatians, Paul goes on. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. 
You, are tr- you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen from grace. What is Paul talking about here? What's, what's this yoke of slavery that he's explaining here? Okay, tell you that Christ has set you free from religion. And you go, whoa, 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 we're in church. What do you mean he set me free from religion? Isn't this a religious place? Isn't this a religious institution? You see, there's a mindset that my way to pleasing God, my, my how I make amends with God is if I do the right things. If I, if I cross the right T's and I dot all the I's and if I follow all the traditions I'm, I'm supposed to, then God will be happy and will look down on me and forgive me of my wrongdoings. And so religion has, is just man's interpretation of what God wants. And, we, and when Jesus came on the scene, there were hundreds of laws that men had added to God's law in, in, the, uh, in the Torah. And they would say, hey, you have to obey all of these. Well, obviously it became uh, difficult, impossible for everyone or anyone to obey all the rules and therefore make God happy. And so Paul is saying here, like, hey, don't take on that yoke of slavery, that that you have to be, how you serve God and how you approach God and how you love God is, is formed and dictated by a set of rules and regulations that men have come up with. You've been set free from that. You've been set free to, to love God, to serve God, to think on God, not only how you're encouraged to, but not how you're told to. Acts 15, verse 5, the the council in Jerusalem dealt with this same issue. It says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So we have uh, people who have come to know Jesus Christ who have received him by faith. And then some Jewish folks were standing up and saying, Hey, hey, you, now that you know God, you have to keep all the rules. You have, to, you have to submit to the religion of the day. And they argued this. They, they debated this in Jerusalem during this thing. Should they or shouldn't they be required to keep the law? Verse 9 says this. In the response uh, it says, he did not discriminate between us and them, talking about God, and he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke, a yoke of slavery that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So he they refer to the law of Moses as this yoke of slavery, this having to do all the right things in order to keep God happy. This traditions of men and of the council and all of these things. He says, Hey, you're not under that, you're set free from that. Now, I know you might be sitting there and saying, well, then why do I come to church? Uh, Why do we have uh, traditions and communions and all of these 
kinds of things. Can I tell you that the role of the church is to help you facilitate your relationship with God that, that you, and, you and God are walking with? The church gathers to, to equip you, to help you, to, to learn, to teach, to encourage, to come alongside as you grow in your relationship with God. We don't show up here and say, if you don't do this, uh, God's not happy with you. Now, I may point that out in Scripture where, hey, God says if you don't do this, he's not happy. But it's not to the church to dictate your relationship with God. It's the church's role to encourage your relationship with God, to point out where you might be erring, and to encourage you towards what is good. But you following the forms and the systems that we have in place here are not going to reunite you with with God. It's your heart. It's you. You've been set free from that burden. You've been set free from the yoke of religion. Let's move on because they get better. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, you, you really have to read the whole thing to, to get the middle, but uh, time doesn't allow us. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, talking about Jesus Christ, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So he's saying, hey, Jesus became flesh and shared in that humanity so that in his death he could break the power of death that the devil had. Okay? Verse 15. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He says being held in slavery by those who were afraid of death. Do you know that a f- fear can enslave you? And Christ has come to set you free from fear. You say, well, how does fear enslave me? Well, when you're afraid and you're walking in fear, you don't think clearly, you don't act clearly, you don't speak clearly. And if somebody's walking along you that's not in fear, they can clearly see that fear is talking through you. I'll give you an example. I'm a beekeeper, and uh, my daughter, in my opinion, has an unhealthy fear of bees. And I, she might be watching today, that's fine. A, any bug flies by her head, ah, what is it? Like, it's a beetle, it's a housefly, whatever. Like, now, for my beehive, I, I regularly walk up with nothing on and open the hive and look in and go, oh, they're doing good, and put the cover down because I, I have no fear of them. If they sting, it's okay, but I'm smart, too, in how I handle them. But she has irrational fear, so she can't enjoy watching them work. If I bring her anywhere near the hive, it's, get me away as fast as I can, right? Or some of you have an irrational fear of spiders, Right? I have seen people turn over tables, rip their shoes off, throw stuff, run like madmen because they saw a spider. And some of you might be going, that's me. It's proof that fear can enslave us. And so if you're afraid of death, 
You might do things, you might say things, it affects your ability to think as you should. If you're afraid of people, if you're afraid of a circumstance, it will alter how you should think, how you should feel. You're not thinking clearly, you're being driven by fear. It's the fear that's thinking for you. It's the fear that's acting for you. It's the fear that's speaking for you. And if you were free from that, wouldn't you think or act or speak differently? Paul points this out in Romans chapter 8. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. He says that he, he connects fear with slavery, that it enslaves us. It keeps you from thinking, acting, speaking as you should. Our antidote to fear is our trust in God and our belief that he loves us. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, when we, when we have faith in the fact that God loves us, we don't have fear. When we love and trust God because God said, I'll go and prepare a place for you. I have no fear of death. Because if I, if, if I leave this place, I'm, I'm going to be with the Father. So I, I don't fear death. So death can't have its hold on me. In fact, Jesus says, hey, uh, don't fear man or woman who can kill the body only. If you're going to fear something, fear God, who not only can kill your body, but also send you to heaven or hell. So even when you face somebody that you say, hey, I trust God. I, I believe in the power of God. God has this circumstance. I'm going to, I, I trust God with my future. I'm afraid of, well, if I'm going to get a job in time, or I'm fearful, anxious about how my kids are going to grow up. I'm, I'm, I'm fear. Hey, I, I place these things in a, the hands of a loving, merciful God who loves me more than I can even fathom or imagine and will do what is best for me. Therefore, I can lay aside my anxiety. I can lay aside my fear. I can lay aside my worry. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? My time on this earth might be shortened and I get to spend more time in eternity with God? That's That's not so bad. Perfect love drives out fear. We trust the God who loves us. Let's see what's next. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, it says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. He has set you free from condemnation. So what is what do you mean he set me free from condemnation? How does that affect how I think, talk, and act? Well, in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say, uh, the wages of sin is death. Well, at the end of a work week, when you work all week, 
uh, your wages, your return for your, what you did is, is your paycheck, your wages, your collect your wages. So he says the wages of sin at the end of your life, all your sins have to be accounted for. So the, the, the receipt, the, the, the thing that you get that you're due is punishment, is death, which is condemnation, right? We know uh, that there's going to be a final judgment day. And, and at, at that judgment day, God's going to say, hey, uh, you're condemned? No, you're not condemned. And Scripture talks about the, the, all the different scenarios. You see in Revelation, you see Jesus talks about it in Matthew, and there's all these kinds of pieces. And, and it's through Jesus Christ, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's, it's through faith in Jesus Christ that, that gets us out of the, the judgment. So we're not condemned. So if you're condemned, how does that affect how you live today? How are you free from that? There's an effect on the heart and the mind of a person who carries around their sin. Whether you believe in God or not. Let me give you some for instances. If you were a poor parent or a poor spouse and you experienced divorce, but you had children from that marriage, you carry around this this weight of of responsibility for your children because you know inside, like, this isn't the perfect for them. Somehow we believe that they should have gotten better, that it would have been nice to have given my kids uh, a long-term relationship with their, with their mother or their father and been a family to the end, but we know this is going to affect their lives, so a lot of times we try to overcompensate, right? We, we, we do what we think is best, or uh, we try to counteract the, our ex-spouse's things to try to help our children, but we carry around within us this, that wasn't the best, that went badly, And there's a sense of this guilt that we carry on our shoulders, that we know we did wrong. That's just one example. I don't think I have to give a lot of examples because you all can understand the weight of your sin that you carry when you realize whether you had an abortion later in life now, you carry that weight, that guilt within your heart, Whether, whether you had an affair, right? Whether you stole something, whether you did drugs and it affected your body, whether, right, any of these kinds of sins that we've done in life that are prevalent to all of mankind, there's a, there's a consequence that we carry around with us in a, in, a, in a condemnation. There's just a weight. And this weight influences our thoughts, our words, and our actions. You say, well, how, how do they influence us? Well, you might be tempted to justify your actions, because obviously it's you. You know you best. I'm a good person. I didn't mean that. That was an accident. And we, we can justify our actions, which is not causing us to think clearly. Or you could lie. No, that wasn't really me. You can shift blame. Oh, that was someone else's fault that caused me to act or do this way. Right? Or you can defend yourself. Or you might go the other way and just totally reject the fact that there's God, there's sin, and there's consequences, and this is just how everybody lives, and deal with it. I don't care. 
which is essentially giving the world the middle finger, right? But you, it affects how you think, how you speak, how you respond, because you're carrying this weight. And there's a difference. The, the thoughts, the life of somebody who's a condemned person versus a freed person, they live differently. They live completely differently. Let me give you an example. There's something, if you haven't heard of it, called uh, death row syndrome. And it's unique to people who live on death row. You can look it up. Uh, it's not a, uh, a diagnosed medical condition as of yet, but it's well known. It's that the living condemned, those who are sitting in death row and waiting to pay for the crimes that they've committed, but they don't know the exact day they're going to have to pay for those crimes. So they live condemned, knowing at some point uh, the proverbial axe is going to fall, which today is most often lethal injection. But there are stories of people who have actually been in the chair, strapped down, with the alcohol bandage being wiped when the, the, exec- the, the stay of execution has been ordered. So mentally they've prepared to, to die and pay for their crimes, and then at the last moment, nope, nope, we're going to pause. Because we, we're going to allow them to file an appeal, so maybe they might not be executed. So they unstrap and send them back to the cell. Like, psychologically, it messes with people. And you combine that with, uh, you know, small living conditions, stuck in a cell for 22 hours a day. I'm not, uh, you can read about all of that, but it's what Psalms 51.3 points out. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. And for the person who's on death row waiting for the axe to, to fall, uh, it just has a psychological effect of living as a condemned person. And it creates this effect, and it's characterized by depression, by suicide, and by insanity. In fact, one out of four people on death row die without even, before their sentence is even carried out. Because there's a weight on their mind that they, they begin to think differently. The insanity that develops from some folks. If you watched the movie Just Mercy, um, I think it was the Just Mercy at the end where uh, the, the, the character that um, uh, Fo- Jamie Foxx played, at the end, and it says what happened to his life, he died young. And it said the weight of his incarceration still weighed on him. The man sat on death row with no hope for so many years it affected his mind. So when he was freed, he still lived as a prisoner in his own mind. You say, why, am I, why are you going through such lengths explaining this to us, Pastor? Because when Jesus Christ says you've been set free from condemnation, you can live as a free person regardless of the sins you've committed. Regardless of your crimes against humanity, whether regardless against crimes against yourself, regardless of your crimes against uh, God's creation, and specifically your crimes against God, him, God who created you, you can be set free from the guilt and the condemnation that someday I'm going to have to pay for all these things. I don't know what day that's going to be. Some people call it bad karma. Right? They're like, oh, just someday this is going to come back around and get me. Right? This, it weighs on you. 
And it has a psychological effect and enslaves you so that you can't think freely, that you can't speak freely, that you don't act freely. You're walking around as a prisoner even though God has set you free. You don't have to live with those consequences and the influences of condemnation on your life. Last thing I want to show you this morning. In John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What is this slave to sin? What are we talking about? How do I, why do I need to uh, be free from sin? Is it just, am I free from the consequences of sin? No, that's the condemnation. You're free from condemnation. That's the consequence of your sin. You're not condemned anymore. You may pay consequences in your body, like if you smoked for 30 years and you get lung cancer, you're, gonna pay the, you're paying the consequence for smoking, you're still going to go to heaven, right? So there's consequences still for our sin in this, in this world, but you're not condemned by Jesus Christ or by God the Father on that day that you die. And you can walk around with that freedom. So what is this? What is the freedom from sin? Well, Paul describes the effects of sin in Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. He says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. I don't know about you, but several things from that list pops out as evident in my life. I'm the only sinner. Okay, just like, man, God has pegged me in this list. He says they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So Paul is saying this is the result of the mind of somebody who rejects God. their mind becomes depraved and they give themselves to all kinds of sin and evil things. Here's, here's how that works. When our minds are dominated by sin, it's all we can think about. It prevents you from thinking any other way. Right? Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Holy Spirit. So when there's sin in our life, our mind is dominated by those things that are sinful. 
right? Our appetites, our desires, our passions, they're all controlled by this concept. Every single person who's ever, ever struggled with any kind of addiction understands this concept. And I would venture to say if you, if you could think clearly and objectively, you would realize that every one of us in this room are addicted to something in some way, shape, or form. That that thing drives you. We love to point out the, the things that are obvious uh, society, in society's ways, like an addiction to drugs or alcohol, an addiction to sex, whether that be through pornography or, or messing around, or, or an addiction uh, of those kinds of sorts that biblically are evil. But Scripture goes on, like gossips. Are you, are you ad- addicted to knowing and being in charge and having everybody's information and then deciding and disseminating that information to who you feel like? You can't help yourself? How about food? There are definitely days that food drives me. I can, my wife can make a fantastic dinner and two hours later my stomach is growling. That, physically, that is, that's not what's going on. It's in here. Like, hey, you know that there's an extra piece of strawberry pie that she just made, and, and you know you want that. See, your stomach's growling, you're hungry. That's, that's my appetite driving me. And I can't think clearly until I eat the piece of strawberry pie. And all of a sudden I have great clarity, and I regret eating the piece of strawberry pie. Because now my stomach's overfull, and the weight I'm trying to drop, I've just lost that battle. Because all of a sudden, now my, I'm free. I can think clearly, and uh, now I have regret. You see, it's the same thing with sin. What, what dominates our mind drives us. So if you're always, if you're focused on things in this world, the things that Scripture calls sin, whether it be passions, uh, lusts um, for power or prominence and importance and rights and all these kinds of things, your mind becomes dominated by those things and you can't think about anything else around because that's what's got your mind. And I don't know if other guys struggle with some of this, but like I, I do like toys. Uh, I listen to my wife, so I, I probably... Uh, realistically, of all the toys I ever look at and dream about, I probably buy like one out of 30 because A, I can't afford it and B, I know that it's, it, it's in here. Like there's B, there will be buyer's regret afterwards. Man, sometimes I just like for hours, wow, look at that car. That's an awesome car. Look at this car. Like just... Steve, there's no way you're ever going to buy the $80,000 muscle car from your, high, from your high school days. It's just not practical. You don't have the money. You don't have a place to put the garage. But it doesn't prevent me from continuing to think that, you know, I need that car. It's the way, it's, it's the same principle with sin in our lives. When, you're, when you give yourself to it, 
you just, it's all your mind can focus on. Your mind becomes depraved. It, sin has a hold on you so that you can't think as you should. You can't speak as you should. What you find is those things coming out of your mouth or those things being captivated by your mind. And then you're acting on those things. And then you go, what, what have I done? And Christ has set us free from the power of sin in our lives so that our mind can not be dominated by those things. We can be set free so we can think clearly and objectively. I need to close this up. I'm just preaching along today. Sorry, not really. But I'm just acknowledging the fact I'm a little longer than I normally am. What is our response to knowing that Jesus Christ sets us free? Right? Sets us free from religion, right? Sets us free from fear, sets us free from the power of sin, sets us free from condemnation. Uh, I'm sorry, I wanted to, we can skip that scripture. Paul describes enslavement before we move on to our response, just so you know where it's at. Romans chapter 7, 18 and 19. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Probably everyone in this room has been that way. Like, I know the good thing I want to do, but for some reason, I don't do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil thing that I don't want to do, this I keep doing. And he goes on and says, who who will save me? Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. He comes, clarity of thought, man, I am messed up. That's what Paul is saying. I'm, in, I'm, I'm a messed up kind of guy. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He recognized I'm enslaved by this. How come I can't do what I want to do? Verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but my sinful nature is slave to the law of sin. He goes on and talks about that, but it's Jesus Christ who sets us free. So Peter encourages us this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. What's What's Peter saying here? Peter's saying when you realize that Christ has set you free, He set you free to to think, to act, to speak, realizing that there's no condemnation, there's no fear, there's none of these things. What what should you do in response to this? Live as free people. But choose God, not evil. See, freedom is is the power, the right to live as you want, to speak as you want, to think as you want. So Christ has set you free. Now choose him. You have the right to choose who you want. You have the right to think as you want. You have, you have the right to, th- without hindrance or restraint, it's yours to think through. But choose God. Don't use this understanding of this freedom from religion and this freedom from fear and us to just 
choose evil. He says, choose to live as God's slaves. Christ purchased your freedom so that you can do these things. He, he purchased your ability to choose for yourself. Just like Zip said, right? Does that mean my freedom, I can just do whatever I want to? Well, you can. You're free to do that. You're not free from the consequences of that, but you are free to choose. Choose God. Choose God's way. How else do we respond? Romans 8, chapter 12, verse 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. What is Paul talking about here? He's saying, walk in your freedom. You have to, it's not just, hey, I'm free, one and done, now I'm just living how I want. No, you have to walk out your freedom. Just because God, Christ purchased your freedom for you doesn't mean that, that those other things aren't going to come in and try to enslave you again. Right? And just as our country had to stand firm and fight for its freedom, so you do for yours. The the groundwork is laid. It has been declared that you are free. Now you have to walk in that freedom. You have to not allow yourself to be enslaved again. You're intentional. You choose Christ in your circumstances and situations. You don't allow fear to govern you. You say, nope. Perfect love drives out fear. God loves me. I'm not going to allow fear to influence my decision. When the devil comes at you and says, you know, you're a, you're a wretch. You know, you're condemned. God's not happy with you. You're going to have to do a million good things to make up for your bad things. Say, no, no, no. I'm not condemning Christ Jesus, and I'm not going to allow that thought process to affect how I live my life. This is what it means to walk in God's freedom. You, you, you demand it from the devil and of yourself. I'm not going to allow my sinful nature to take over. Christ said this, and I trust God over everything else. If God said I'm free, which is, which is why I know I'm, I'm bouncing, when Christ said, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. He's saying, hey, listen, it's not your neighbor who set you free. It's not even your government who set you free. It's God himself who set you free. And if God himself set you free, then you are free, bro- brother and sister. You are free. No matter what anybody says about you, no matter what restraints people have around you, you are free to think, to act, to speak as God directs you and as you want. Walk in that. Lastly, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 says this, In him and through him, Through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that gives us the freedom we're talking about today. So we place our faith, our belief, our trust that when Christ went to the cross and died and rose again, he purchased your freedom. And that when you place your faith in him, that you will be free from from, from death, you'll be free from condemnation, you can be free from fear. It's 
Faith in Christ Jesus and his work is the hinge point of all of this. So we walk in faith in God, not by what we see around us, not by what other people tell us. We focus on what Jesus Christ says about us. And we choose to believe that over anybody else. And all kinds of things that oppress you and hinder you and restrict you from thinking and believing and acting as God intended you to will be lifted. When you've grown up all your life and told things like you're not beautiful, you're not worth much, uh, you know, nobody cares about you, it'd be better if you just weren't around, all those kinds of things, and when you discover that that's not what Christ says about you, when Christ says you're beautiful, when Christ says you're valuable to me, when Christ says I have a plan and I have a purpose for you, it sets you free when you go, you know what? I'm going to believe what Christ says about me and not what's been told to me. All of a sudden, you live as a different person. And that's only a product of your faith. As we close this up and get ready for communion, let me challenge you with, with this, that many in this world, many in our country, many in the community that you live in are unaware of what Jesus Christ has done for them. He's already paid the price. He's already laid the foundation for your freedom. It's a faith in him that unlocks it. And can I tell you that on July 4th, 1776, our government laid the foundation for freedom. The idea that all people are born free and equal. Right? That declaration on that day was not realized by all people in our nation. Right? Doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it doesn't apply to them. It means we have to walk in it and we have to obtain it, and we have to tell people. I mean, there was, uh, um, I, I apologize for the dates, but it was um, Juneteenth, right? There was a whole community of people who realized it had been two and a half years since a law had been passed setting them free, but they were still living, believing, and being subject to slavery and oppression, until somebody came and brought them the good news two and a half years later. That's a picture of our nation as it relates to Jesus Christ. There are people all over the place that have no idea what's available to them in Jesus Christ. The freedoms that Christ have, has purchased for them, a freedom from sin, a freedom from condemnation, a freedom from fear, a freedom from religion, if they could know and understand this, that it's already been laid, the law has been passed, the price has been paid, it's theirs for the taking. Who will go and tell them? Who will go and tell them? They're living as oppressed, enslaved people. They don't have to. Christ has come to set them free. 2,000 years ago, he purchased it. He laid the groundwork. And by faith, we can have it.
you're with us this morning, whether here or online, our focus this morning has just been Jesus Christ has set us free. He so wants us to live as free people who can think and act and speak for us. The hindrances, he's removing the hindrance so that you can choose. And I challenge today to choose God. Choose his ways. As Joshua said, I don't know about you, but as far as me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. God grants you the clarity to think that way, that fear. You don't have to come to God because you're afraid of death. You don't have to come to God because some religious system told you if you don't, something bad's going to happen to you. Or like These aren't... Come because he loves you. He paid a price for you. And that's what we're about to take communion for. It's the reminder that it's God's great love that compelled him to send his son to this earth that his body would be broken and his blood would be spilled and, and in that process it would, it would garnish, it would lay a foundation, it would purchase your freedom from the power of death and the power of sin. So you don't have to fear, you don't have to be governed, you can freely choose to worship God. Clear conscience, with arms raised and our heart open. And so today, if you're with us at home or if you're with us here, we have these um, little self-contained communion cups. Um, The very top paper, if you peel it back, there's a wafer underneath there. You know, Jesus said on on the night of the Last Supper, that when we gather together and we take communion to do it in remembrance of him. I think it's interesting that our nation likes to put on monuments and headstones or declarations that uh, never forget or always remember, right? And I think that originally was Jesus' saying, we stole it, (laughs) right? Like, hey, Remember me. And, and he says, uh, I'll bring some clarity. What we're doing right now, this isn't religion that says if you don't do this, you're, God's not happy with you. That's religion. What we're doing now is, God, you said when we get together to eat and drink together to remember you, And so this is just the way that we've chosen to remember you in line with kind of what you gave. Because I promise you, um, you know, in in Israel 2,000 years ago, they didn't have these little wafers. Nor did they have these little plastic cups with with juice or whatever is in here. It says it's juice. I trust it's juice. They didn't have these things then. And at home, you probably don't have these things either. They're just symbols that facilitate the remembering of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. That's the difference between religion and being free. I'm free to realize that 
whether it's a wafer, whether it's a piece of pita bread, or whether it's a cracker, it it's represents God's body that I'm about to eat before him, as with the juice. And so, Lord, we thank you that you came and you purchased our freedom. And this morning, as a body of believers, we choose to honor you and to remember you for the work that you've done. That it's because your body was broken and your blood spilled that we can, we can freely sit here and honor you. So church, this morning, let's, let's eat the bread together in representation of his body. And the juice just represents the blood of Jesus Christ spilled, which is the, the, the signing of the, of the proclamation of why he came. He signed it in his own blood, guaranteeing that everything he said is true, that you can take it to the bank, so to speak, and place your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. And that the power of death, of sin, of fear could be broken over your life. And so, this morning in remembrance of what Christ did for us, we drink this juice. Amen. Church, let me pray for you. As we pray... I'm going to pray a couple, two things for you. <clears throat> I'm going to pray, run, one, that you would realize the freedom that Jesus Christ has purchased for you and that you would, by faith, grab that and take hold of that into your own life and not walk any longer under a, a spirit of condemnation or of fear or of religion or sin. That these things would not dominate you, but that you'd have freedom. And then second, that you would commit to sharing with others that they can be free in Christ Jesus. He's already purchased that. He's laid the groundwork. They just they need to know. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins and to purchase our freedom. This morning, Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening to this message that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would go in and minister to their hearts the freedom that you have purchased by your blood and that you would deliver them from being enslaved, that you would empower them to live a life holy for you, not under compulsion, not under guilt, not under any of those kinds of things except out of pure love for you of what you've done for them. Lord, would you set your people free from being influenced and restrained and hindered from thinking as we should. And second, Lord, would you send us, would you, would you bring people on our path who, would you send us to people just like our missionaries have, that we could tell people of the freedom that's available to them in Christ Jesus, that they no longer need to be dominated by sinful passions, by, by fear, by the weight of their own sins, by any of these things. 
Would you empower us, Lord, to share this good news, this message with the community around us, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with our family members. Lord, I pray for the folks uh, in our church that as we leave this place, as we sign off and engage in our day, that your Holy Spirit would go with us, leading and guiding and protecting. And may your word be uh, solidified in our hearts as we engage the world around us with the love that comes from you. We thank you and we bless you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Man, it's been great. Hey, I know I went a little long today, but, but God is good, and my prayer for you is that you would continue in his ways.